Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, a weekly tarot podcast about life, death, and rebirth. I'm your host, Lindsay Mack. Thank you so much for being with me today. Um, oh, it feels so good to be dropped in and connecting with all of you. I have such a magnificent guest in terms of content, the depth of the interview shared. I'm just loving doing these um, embodiment interviews and all of them have felt so special in their own way. This one really feels like um, just an extra kind of deliciousness. <laughs> um, and I'm very, very excited to introduce uh, the guest. And before I do that, I have a couple quick announcements. The first is that enrollment for my eight-week tarot course, Tarot for the Wild Soul, is open. So if you have wanted to sign up, if you have wanted to learn tarot from a place of um, no fear, no judgment, if you wanted to learn tarot from an inclusive place, from a place where your intuition, your knowing is really honored and lifted in a judgment-free environment, I, uh, I'm here for you. <laughs> um, the course runs from March 21st, the spring equinox, to May 15th. Um, technically, it runs to May 9th, but May uh, 15th is kind of the end of the eight weeks. So that's when we'll close the container completely to the students who've signed up. Enrollment is open until March 19th. And there are a couple things to know about ways that you can be involved. And um, if you are ready and you want to take the leap and you want to sign up or you want to learn more, you can do all of that on tarotforthewildsoul.com. We have multiple uh, methods of payment. There are payment plans available for those who need them. If you are interested in applying for a need-based scholarship, applications for that are going to close today. So February 15th, they will be closed. And then we will let everyone know either way on the 22nd. So if you feel called, today is the last day to sign up for a scholarship. Um, and if you are blessed with abundance, and if you are um, somebody who has more than what you need, then uh, I would invite you to consider a sponsorship opportunity where you can uh, donate to the sponsorship fund. And that will enable somebody who does not receive a scholarship but is on the waiting list to receive your sponsorship to the course. And last year we were able to sponsor multiple people through the generosity of that fund. So even if you have $20, if you have $10, if you want to sponsor a whole person, it was the most beautiful um, act of generosity. And I highly encourage anyone who, even if you don't want to take the course, if you'd like to sponsor someone to please um, donate to that fund. So if you want to sign up for the course and if you want to learn more about the course, it only opens once a year. You may do so at tarotforthewildsoul.com. If you want to apply for a scholarship, today is your last day. You can also do that at tarotforthewildsoul.com. If you have applied, you'll hear back from us by the 22nd or before. And if you'd like to uh, donate to the sponsorship fund, you may also do that at tarotforthewildsoul.com. <laughs> and all three of those are under the enrollment um the enrollment part of the menu. And if you click that, it will uh, kind of fold down to say sign up now or sponsorship or scholarship. Um, I'm so excited. If you like this podcast, you'll love the course. And we, I would love to have all of you who feels called 
aboard. Uh, so just so you know that that's up and available. Um, our bonus contributors are amazing. I mentioned that on the last uh, podcast that we did, uh, I think for um, the Ask Lindsay. And uh, yeah, I'm just so fucking pumped. So it's open. Come aboard if you feel the call. Now, um, there, I'm so excited to share this guest. So for those of you who are listening to this for the first time, perhaps I uh, do one interview a month that is an embodiment interview. And essentially what embodiment interviews consist of is somebody who organically, uh, without trying, just shines out the essence of a certain card. Um, now that might be that they're aware of it, might be that they're not aware of it, but in this person's life and in the exchange of what this person offers and shares about their life, their life story, that there is this uh, incredible sense of connection with the card and through the medicine of storytelling and through conversation, uh, hopefully what that conversation can do when applied to the podcast is help to show any of you listening who are learning how to read tarot or our readers a different way of looking at the card that perhaps you haven't before. And my guest today is the brilliant, um, beautiful, amazing Mari Andrew, who many of you might know already. Um, but if you do not, Mari is a writer, artist, and speaker based in New York City and the author of the book, Am I There Yet? Mari is, uh, if you don't know her Instagram, uh, which is at by Mari Andrew, um, she is uh, an incredible, witty, delightful, kind of devastating in the best of ways, uh, writer and illustrator where she just really has this extraordinarily, extraordinary ability to encapsulate so much that can't, it's very hard to encapsulate into words. She manages to, um, draw and really channel onto paper. And I initially reached out to Mari. I'm blessed to have met her, um, many years ago and she was lovely and we've sort of stayed connected since then. Um, I reached out to Mari initially to ask her to be the embodiment of the strength card, which is still folded into this conversation. And I will talk about before the interview airs, but it was very clear to me, uh, when we started to talk that it was really a tower embodiment. So that card really came through in our conversation and thus far in my embodiment interviews that has not happened yet where all of a sudden a card has popped up and been like, no, I'm the embodiment. <laughs> so we're bowing to the tower. Um, so Mari is our embodiment interview for the tower card and her secondary cards are strength and death. Let's talk about why. So Mari, as you'll hear on this interview, um, is an illustrator and was experiencing a time uh, that she was very open about on social media where um, she had completed writing her book in Spain and actually collapsed. And it turned out that she had an autoimmune uh, disease that she wasn't aware of that paralyzed her for weeks. And she had to recover and do physical therapy um, and literally learn how to walk again. And um, 
her life has been really marked by these experiences that have been very challenging that she has really cultivated the gold and the treasure from, uh, one of them being the death of her father that really uh, catapulted her into actually reaching for the first time at the age of 28 for um, the implements and the tools to draw and paint. She had not done that before she was 28 years old. And it's a very common theme with the tower that it comes in the form often, not all the time, but often of shock where something will happen. We're not expecting it, that the impact of tower, even when tower shows up as being very positive, one of its telltale signs is we're kind of going along, everything's cool. And then the Marsness of it all comes in, really hits us, is very much like a forest fire that can really eat and change the whole landscape of our forest. It clears out everything that is not meant to come with us. Um, the tower can sometimes feel very traumatic. And Mari's story is obviously one of trauma and also of resilience and of healing and of hope and of regeneration, um, literally regaining the strength to walk again. So the tower is ruled by Mars and the tower is a major arcana card that is in essence, the card that clears out everything that's no longer meant to serve us and often redirects the trajectory of our lives. So tower experiences, we've all had them. Uh, some of them, some of us have them in very intense kind of patterns uh, some of us have them in sort of textbook tower ways, and some of our tower experiences are very subtle. Um, there are often levels and layers to tower. And it was so clear upon talking to Mari that she was full, bright, beautiful tower embodiment, and that it was too precious and important of a story to share because it's very rare that we can see the full spiral of a tower experience laid out so beautifully and so vulnerably as she shared her story. Um, so the tower clears out everything that's not meant to come with us. It clears out everything that is, um, and very often we don't know the why of it. It's not like when we get the tower, we're doing anything wrong. It's not like when we get the tower, we're behaving in a way that requires punishment, nothing like that. Nobody deserves sudden paralysis. Nobody deserves ending of marriage. It has nothing to do with deserving or punishment or cause and effect. It really just has to do with the universe coming down and really clearing something out very intensely, usually so that we can have the full experience after tower of moving through star, walking through the complete black night of the moon, really relying on our instincts, kind of doing that deep underworld work, and then coming out in the sun with different gifts to share, different things to say. So this is really in the tarot, and this is kind of covered in trauma in the tarot, which is an offering of mine too. Uh, Murray also really uh, walks the towers, uh, the uh, trauma cycle, trauma and healing cycle that I talk about in trauma in the tarot, where um, that really is illustrated for us in the tarot so beautifully, kind of how we heal from tower experiences. There's a lot of that in this interview as well. Um, 
just really an extraordinary experience of courage. And strength was my initial inspiration for Mari. And that's still such a big part of it because Mari is so fucking courageous and does so many things, consistently puts her hand on the muzzle of the lion without knowing the why, consistently stays very soft to those opportunities. And also because um, the way that Mari has expanded, shared her work, been willing to share her work without, um, like, without waiting for permission. That's is that is very strength. It's very Leo, and it's very much about having a connection to a channeling to a source. That's a huge piece of Leo moving through discomfort and coming out on the other side. Very much Mari's story and her embodiment. And then um, death is yet again a very big part of this because uh, a lot of this journey was um, initiated by the death of Mari's father in 2015. And death energy, that kind of regenerative change and that clearing of something um, in a very different way from the tower. And I would say the biggest difference is like the tower really is the burning of something like it's Mars energy. So it is like lightning striking a tree and the whole forest burning down so that new growth can be cultivated. And death is the changing of a form. So um, in a little bit of a different way, my example for death has always been compost. You know, we take up what's in our garden, we put it on the compost pile and it serves a different form, but it doesn't go away with the tower. It's really like it's gone and something new is built in its place. So it's a very intense clearing. Um, and the two are sort of cousins of one another, sort of kind of, especially because the death card is ruled by Scorpio and tower card is ruled by Mars. So there's a lot of, um, linking that usually happens between the two, but they're both very scorpionic energies. And that's a really big part of Mari's journey too. And more than anything, um, I'm so excited to share this interview because very often when we think of cards like tower and even of strength and especially of death, there tends to be a sort of a foreboding or a foreboding experience. Like this is going to be so horrible. And while Mari's experience is extraordinary in the challenge it presented her, her really enormous heart, her connection to her vulnerability and her sensitivity and her kindness and her warmth um, is something that uh, has not been extinguished. In fact, as she shares in this interview, it is only expanded. And that is what happens when we follow the full spiral of um, experiences, when life brings us experiences that we were not asking for, <laughs> um, how can we begin to move through them with grace? And that's so much of what uh, we explored in this interview. And I'm so delighted to share it with all of you. Um, so our conversation, um, so excited to share it. That's coming up now. And uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you love the podcast, please consider uh, giving it five stars on iTunes. It really helps other people to find us, write a review if you feel like it. Hopefully it's a nice one. <laughs> um, and uh, thank you for listening. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Mari Andrew. Have I got a treat for you today. I am so excited to have this guest on. This is someone who 
I've known for a few years and we've had really impactful, we've only met once, but have stayed, we were just talking about this before we interviewed, have stayed really in each other's hearts and kind of connected from afar. Um, and uh, it feels like such a joy to have them on. Uh, my guest today to talk about embodying the tower card and so much else is Mari Andrew, writer, artist, speaker, and author of the book, Am I There Yet? Welcome, Mari. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. I'm really, really excited about this. Me too. Me too. I'm um, excited to just get to talk to you for a while. <laughs> I don't normally get to do that. So this is really fun. I I am completely in a, uh, I could not agree more. And it was so nice to catch up with you before we recorded because you and I basically met before, you know, and obviously uh, many of our listeners know this from the intro and they know you because you are quite prolific. Um, and I will use the F word. I would say that you're quite famous and you and I, <laughs> you and I met before that expansion fully took root. And it was, I very clear that like, that was a part of your journey, like, cause you were so gifted. And, um, we met kind of right at the beginning of that journey. And then literally it completely took off. So it's been so exciting to get to watch that. And it feels really exciting to get to be connecting with you now and like catching up, even though <laughs> like I've been watching it, you know? So it feels really delicious to get to like, just chat with you. I totally agree. Um, so I know that, um, a little bit of how your journey with um, your connection with art started. And because we're talking both about strength and death today, um, part of what I have started to see from talking to a few people who also have a death embodiment in my mind is that their journey with kind of their soul work sort of begins with a death experience. And you've had a couple, I think, in the time in which, like, since 2015, um, and I know that you've shared this on multiple um, podcasts and interviews before, but you did not start painting or drawing, right, until around 2015 after your father's passing. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that you and I met in December. I started yes. in September, so I've been doing it a couple months, and uh, my dad died um, in February, this is actually the anniversary day. So very potent day for me. Um, and it, it wasn't, um, an immediate turning toward art. I was quite depressed for a few months and just so sick of it. I was just Mm. sick of being so low, which I think a lot of people who have struggled with depression, um, I, I've heard them speak in this way and I really resonate with it. Just that kind of like, just tired of it, just tired of mm-hmm. being so, you know, self involved, so numb, so kind of bored, disinterested. And um, my drawing kind of came from a place of wanting to feel curious again, wanting to kind of spark some, you know, childlike interest again because I was just so like 
not interested in the world. That's really yeah. how it manifested for me. Mm. And then you have a, a like the most one of the most beautiful um, Instagrams and share and have shared these illustrations that you do over the last few years that have each really felt like a kind of a channeled healed healing offering that really comes from a way that you're able to kind of contextualize something that everyone knows and feels in this amazing visual way, which is kind of a, it's a, I mean, it's true. I was about to say, it's kind of like a, a really heavy setup to say like, because I think this is probably just a gift that you have, but did, how did you begin to, because it seemed to me from an objective observer that it started, I mean, I don't know whether or not I'm putting something on you that wasn't there, but your Instagram has always really kind of felt like tithing to me, like this ability to share something that really brought people together. Was there ever like a conscious this helps me, maybe it will help other people. Was there ever kind of a, an offering energy that you placed on sharing your drawings with people in that way? Oh, I love, I love the way you phrase that. And I love that question. Um, my reaction is always my immediate reaction, um, to thinking about that, um, you know, that concept of making any of this sort of for other people, um, is to say, no, I really do it, um, you know, just to process what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, really the, the, my primary audience is me, but I think there was a turning point, um, with just kind of my creativity in general. Um, I've always, um, been a writer. I've always identified as a writer, mm-hmm. even though I didn't do it as a job and, um, that was my primary means of expression. And after I lost my father, um, I felt really, really isolated during that time, especially because we were estranged and there's not a lot of narratives about that that I could find. And so when yeah. I did find them, I was so grateful for them, I, desperately grateful. Like mm-hmm. I would sort of hang on to these stories or songs or poetry or whatever about um the loss of an estranged parent like a life raft you know it just felt like these stories were everything for me um and every time I I encountered one I would feel so overwhelmingly grateful to the artist for doing that for me you know and Mm -hmm. think thank god this person didn't hold themselves back or um, you know, I'm so glad this person didn't think, oh, maybe it's a little self-indulgent of me to write about this, or maybe I, you know, uh, there's enough narratives about this or whatever, whatever hesitations they might have. I was so grateful that none of that, um, deterred them because I needed these stories. And so I think at that point, I really recognized for the first time storytelling is medicine. And mm. I thought maybe that's something that I could do with my writing. Um, I started art quite a bit after I started writing. I started art that year. So when I was 28 in 2015 and, um, and I think I probably was operating from that spirit, even though it wasn't totally conscious. I, I always knew, um, 
coming from starting from when I um, began the process, I I had that inherent knowledge that storytelling is so helpful and crucial for us to understand our own experiences. So um, there was a bit of that spirit. Mm. That's so beautiful. And you have such a strong cord. It it feels like fierce um, about like we, if you are an artist, you're an artist, period. No one needs to give you permission. You can permission yourself. And I'm really hearing in what you're saying um, where some of that foundation came from was that experience of such profound gratitude that someone didn't hold themselves back or give in to the story like, oh, someone's already talked about this, yada, yada, yada. And um, it seems that that also mirrors your journey with yourself, being able to say, and a little curious about that, like, I know that you've spoken a lot about just the thoughts that pervade and are self-sabotaging. And um, what, did you ever get to a point, again, this is like a big question, but did you ever get to a point where you said, if I'm an artist, I'm an artist, period. No one has to tell me I'm an artist, I am. Like, did that ever come to you in a moment that you can recall? Um, yes, it was certainly a process, though. That's a, a sentiment I'm very grateful to have. I don't think that I did anything. I didn't really work for it. But um, I think it might have been sort of a blessing of starting a little bit older. Um, by yeah. no means do I think 28 is objectively old by really any standards. But I think that our society, our current culture does um, really favor young people who know what they want to do um, immediately. And I think yeah. that's such a rare thing. I, I don't really know anyone who that's happened for. And if it has happened, if they knew what they wanted to do at 18 and just went for it, um, by now I find that they're they're starting to question that. So, you mm-hmm. know, I think the... Um, the journey of uncertainty is the dominant experience for most people, but it's not the dominant experience that we hear about. So um, I think the blessing of starting when I was 28, and I, at that point, thought I was, you know, ancient, ancient history. Which <laughs> um, <laughs> is like so funny now, but, but that's how I felt. That's, I know, you know what you mean, that's, totally. That's what I was kind of told. And um, and, you know, I, I compared myself, of course, to people who had been doing what they had been doing for years and years. So I think the gift of that is that I just didn't care as much. I mm-hmm. I think when I was younger, I probably would have thought, well, I can't draw because I'm not an artist. Yeah. You know, like I thought that you had to put this, like, esteemed cart before the horse and say you know, be a distinguished artist with a portfolio and art school degree, whatever, mm-hmm. before you could really start just making art. And then I realized, no, <laughs> no, I wanted, I just want to do this. And at the, at that time, I didn't really care where it led. I wasn't, I didn't have a goal in mind at all. I did um, set a goal for myself, which was one drawing a day for a year, but I had no goal as far as audience or anything like that. Um, and so when I started doing it, I heard people pretty early on calling me an artist. And mm. I would always say, no, I'm not. 
I'm, you know, I'm just not, I'm not an artist. I just do this. Um, but then I, I, I think it dawned on me um, relatively soon into the project that I was making art and that's yeah. what an artist does. Yeah. And <laughs> I think um, maybe every medium has um, an element of this, but I think illustration is very forgiving. I'm very grateful for it as an art form. It's an actually very new art form, only about 30 years old. Um, it used to be that illustrators would illustrate things like, you illustrate a book or you illustrate a manual and mm -hmm. now it's um only very recently has it become an art form um in and of itself mm -hmm. for no you know um purpose and I think it really rewards people with a distinct style and the great thing about a style is that you can't really learn it you're just sort of born with it so mm -hmm. um I just started drawing in the style that came naturally to me, which is what I've been doing pretty much since I was about five. And, um, and then, you know, people would tell me I, I had a style and I had a voice and this was news to me, but um, it, it felt great. And yeah. I just realized how many people must be holding themselves back, um, especially anyone even younger, you know, and saying, well, I can't start a new hobby. I'm 24. You know, I, <laughs> I remember in college, <laughs> I was like 19 and I thought I can't change majors. I'm a sophomore. Like it's, I don't know why we do that, but yeah, um, I don't want to see people doing it because life is too short. So, and life is also long and we have plenty of time to change ourselves. Um, and so I think that it came from a bit of, you know, wisdom of old age. And I think that it came from, um, you know, just a, a lot of the, the sort of loss of, um, of care what other people thought about me, especially after my dad died. And I felt like I had been through so much. I felt like, you know, what, what can you say to me that I'm not an artist? You know, that's not going to yeah. So I'm just going to start doing this for myself. And I really, really hope other people do too. That's so beautiful. And what has your relationship been? Because, you know, you, to me, to an outsider, put yourself and your work out there very, very courageously. And I'm sure like there are people who are dicks to you or have been dicks mm -hmm. about it. And <laughs> so much of what I think you naturally embody is just this like beautiful kind of in, in, um, like a flame that really can't be kind of extinguished. Like this ability to say, even though things may bother you or upset you or trip you up, you continue to kind of shine and show up. And what has been kind of the resourcing that you've held to that's helped you to kind of stay open to that courage to put yourself out there in spite of like the inevitability of some people just being wieners. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love that word. Um, yeah, I think um, one of the gifts of being kind of a lone wolf for most of my life, um, not really having many friends, never quite fitting in, is that I got to know myself 
really well at a young age, very young age. And um, I think with self-knowledge comes with a sort of natural self-love. And Mm. I think that um, I've always been pretty aware that I was the most important person that I had to please. Mm. Um, I think that might have come from being an only child, I spent a lot of time around adults and I never fit in with kids my age. That was really painful and really difficult, of course, um, in high school. But I always knew there was a bigger world out there. I always knew there was, um, you know, the the land of adults where a lot of things matter less. (laughs) A lot of the things that I was concerned about would stop being concerned after a while. Um, And so I... um, I think that because I had that pretty young, it does, it still helps me now because at the end of the day, if I'm making art that makes me happy and that feeds me, um, that's really it, you know? And I think that at this point, I do feel um, slightly more responsible for my audience and I feel responsible for the messages that I send. But if, if I feel something coming from my soul and I know what that feels like, I can't articulate it, but it is a feeling I know very well. Mm-hmm. Then, um, then I know I'm, I'm doing the right thing. And um, if I'm happy with my life, then nothing else really matters. It sounds so trite and there's no like non-cliche way to say it but I think I do have that a deep knowledge of that and I'm just I'm grateful for my kind of you know shitty childhood because I think that I wouldn't have that if I if I hadn't had that foundation I think that takes a long time for a lot of people to learn and again it's nothing that I worked on it's nothing that I tried to have but I think that um it just came from um sort of an early resilience in a world that really didn't feel like it was built for me at all. Mm. Mari, that's so beautiful. So beautifully put, like just such a gift (laughs) really. And I, as a fellow shitty childhood haver, I do agree that it really does give you something. I think for some people, it really does for some of us, it can offer the opportunity to be so like, you just don't have time to um, like kind of entertain those doubts. It's like, well, why wouldn't I step forward? Why wouldn't I, you know? And, and I think what you're, yeah. And like what you're saying to me is the least trite thing. I think it's really the thing that everyone tries to run away from because it's one of the hardest things to start to embody. You know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. the real deal, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I would like to think, I mean, I, I suffering, um, comes up in my story a lot and I always wonder, could someone have all of that knowledge, all of that joy without the suffering? And I don't know. I, I hope so. I hope that there's, some way that the world can arrange that, but I don't know. It, it's not true for my personality type. I think that I had to go through yeah. um, quite, quite a bit in order um, to get, you know, this, um, this joy that I have now. 
And, you know, I think I, I totally hear that. And I also muse about that a lot. Like, I wonder if, because too, like, even in the work I do with people who have trauma and kind of uh, centering the tarot as a tool for that, there would be, there's a passion that I have for that work. That wasn't like a choice. That was something that I went, oh, there, mm -hmm. there, there was nobody for me when I was going through that. There was no book. There was no resource. No one was talking about it like that. And this is what it can be. And if people are interested, it could help because it's a very specific language. And I think like there are these kind of like treasures that exist in these particularly heavy, heavy, intense pockets of life that not everyone travels to. And I think if mm -hmm. you, if you travel and you cultivate the treasure and you make it out, then there kind of just is this organic happening that I really see in your work. And I also really identify with personally, like you wind up in one way, shape or form creating or guiding people on how to get how to go through those places to get the treasure and also get out. And then that starts being part mm -hmm. of part of the exchange, you know? I love that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, um, that is sort of the re responsibility. I agree. For people like us. I know. Yeah, it is true. Very, it's like, you know, in a unique way, but very, very, I think so. And you know, one of the most kind of powerful things that um, those who follow you and know you either well or from afar, some mixture of the two, speaking of suffering, um, you went through a really intense experience. Was it two years ago that you went through your... Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm so grateful that you would like to talk about it. So Mari um, experienced, went to Spain and you were kind yep. of enjoying yourself and bopping around. And then all of a sudden you fell mm -hmm. and you couldn't get up. And that led to you being in the hospital for like months with, uh, I think it's pronounced Galen Barr. Is that right? I Guillain Barre. I, I Guillain mean, Barre. everyone has a different <laughs> different <laughs> pronunciation. Yeah, whoops. it all works. It's all terrible. <laughs> it's all the same terrible disease. Yeah. Um. So Guillain Barre syndrome is um a disease, autoimmune disease that um attacks your nervous system. I guess it gets a little confused. It thinks that your nerves are causing some issue, and it decides to just uh destroy them essentially. Wow. Um, they are able to grow back, which is um, good. It's a temporary um, affliction, but um, it paralyzes people to varying degrees and um, paralyzed my legs entirely, um, most of my arms. Thank God it didn't spread to my lungs or anything, but um, I was pretty much completely paralyzed for about a month. And then there was about six months of recovery after that. Wow. And what, I mean... I can only imagine the trauma of that. Did you have, did you have any kind of warning before you fell that something had been going on? Like even in retrospect? Yeah, it was actually about 
two days um, before of feeling really strange. I had been um, gallivanting around Spain, happy as a clam. I was writing my book and I decided to take flamenco lessons every day, intensive flamenco. And I was Amazing. doing it for about three hours a day. So um, wow. I know, it was the best, like the best thing of my life. And um, it's, it's pretty hard work on your legs. And so I was just kind of um, ending the session of pretty much a month of these intensive classes. So I thought, wow, this, you know, this flamenco has really done a number on my legs. They're feeling really weak and, you know, I can hardly walk. Um, and I just remember walking around town for a couple days, um, just feeling really weak, just feeling like I needed to rest, um, like take a lot of rest, which is unusual for me. And then I um, I went to a, a small town to check out some, you know, old, old Spanish caves, which sounded cool. <laughs> and in the middle of that um, experience, I, I just collapsed at one point and mm. I couldn't get back up. And um, fortunately, I was in a hotel lobby. So I had people to kind of help me call an ambulance. But um, obviously, it was so shocking. I mean, I just had no framework for what could be happening. I had nothing to reference, you know, it's like, yeah. what is this? And um, I was, I went to a hospital, a really small town hospital. They were completely baffled. Um, they sent me back to Granada, which is where I was living, um, to a hospital there. Um, had, you know, a million tests and that was probably the hardest day of my life. I didn't have um, any way to contact anyone. And oh. it was just so scary and isolating and just the uncertainty and the lack of control. It's very traumatic. It's really, really hard. Yeah. Mm. I can't even imagine. Um, so eventually they, they diagnosed me, which was, um, somewhat comforting after a couple of days and at all points I knew it would be temporary, but that didn't really help much. <laughs> okay. A lot of yeah, people no. asked me, did you know <laughs> that it was temporary? And for like, it just, I don't know that that never was that comforting to me because also the, the recovery time is like three months to five years, you know, there wasn't yeah. like a very clear <clears throat> end to it. And um, when they told me I was going to be in the hospital for at least a couple weeks, that sounded like years, a you know, thousand just, years. it was like, what I'm on vacation. Like, what are you doing? Um, my mom was able to come be with me, which was really nice, but um, it was just so confusing and, strange and um really torturous to be paralyzed much I mean I think that we can all sort of imagine what it might be like but it was so much worse than what I had imagined and oh. um just really really disorienting time to say the very least yeah and what was the so you were in Granada for a few weeks, did you start physical therapy almost right away? Did you have to wait? What was the timeline of that? 
Yeah, I am. I was completely paralyzed for about two weeks with really wow. no movement at all. But I started um, physical therapy once I could kind of start moving around. And mm-hmm. um, this is a really interesting experience. I mean, I had to learn how to walk. I I would watch videos of people walking because I forgot how to do it. I like I forgot wow. does the heel go first or you know, like I, I couldn't remember the mechanics, um, and things like I would write these notes for myself, um, like a list of goals and I kept all of them and they're so funny now. It's like type on type, like a single letter on my laptop because my hands were so weak or, um, you know, like take what one step or be able to like touch the bottom of my wheelchair just these like very basic Mm -hmm. things it was like I felt like a a little kid like a little toddler like oh she she took one step today or you know she (laughs) she like picked up an orange um you know these little things that suddenly became such huge accomplishments which is quite ironic at the time after I had just had this year of um accomplishing so much professionally um, getting my book deal and uh, getting quite a big platform and, you know, all of these like career goals. And then now my goals were like, be able to pick up a fork. That yeah. was like my number one goal. And um, so, yeah. And then being in physical therapy with other people who were not as fortunate as I was, people who would probably never walk again was really sobering and, um very hard hard to deal with yeah I can only imagine Mm. and then once you were able to leave Granada what was kind of the next step for you did you go back to New York did you live with your mom for a little while yeah I lived with my mom I actually hadn't moved to New York yet it was um wow Kind of a, a really interesting time of life. I had I was living in DC. I left DC, went to Spain. I was going to be there for three months. So actually, the timing kind of aligned um, just fine. And um, I went back, lived with my mom during my recovery. And I knew that once I was well, that's when I would move to New York. Mm. And for a while, I mean, it's hard to even remember this now because I love New York so much. But I thought. I don't want to be there. It's too like scary. Like I, I'm so fragile and I felt like I had just been through this trauma. It's like, why would I go to this big scary city? And it was so strange to me because I, I always loved New York. I felt like New York was so cozy. It was like this soft pillow for me. It was, it was a really healing, beautiful place. And then to suddenly be scared of it, um, really kind of threw me out of whack but after after a few months um and realizing I could walk again and it would be okay and I wouldn't tip over and I wouldn't get frustrated Mm -hmm. um that's when I was able to move and it was like this kind of beautiful like karmic reward it was um really a dream come true and I I moved in the fall which is such a beautiful time to be here Mm -hmm. and um you know very grateful very grateful that I could move around 
That's incredible. Um, I mean, there's so much of what you shared that is so extraordinary, like the, because what you're talking about is something that has been, was extremely powerful. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but one of the most kind of oddly beautiful things about, well, I don't know if I want to say beautiful things about you going through it, but something that has always stayed with me is that you shared it with people. And I think there, Mm. there are times when things happen and they're terrible and we stay quiet about them, which is by the way, perfectly okay Mm. for anyone because everyone processes and grieves and moves through, um, illness and injury and news regarding their health in the perfect way for them. But I thought like for me watching you move through this and you allowing yourself to be supported and to be seen in ways that were vulnerable and did not have a bow on top of them because Mm -hmm. so, so often like the rhythm of Instagram is like, I moved through this terrible thing, but now here's what I have to say about it. And you were sharing and being like, mm-hmm. it just blows. And I feel like mm-hmm. that was extraordinary because that is to me, ultimately like the purest acknowledgement of the human condition that people often feel. I think I, I feel comfortable in saying the majority of people are really scared to have people see them in those spaces. And it was, uh, I mean, I absolutely know that you probably were not thinking anything about that in that moment. You were just going (laughs) through your process, but it was, Mm -hmm. it really was, um, a gift and, and, and the gift was obviously secondary to the concern and, pain that I know so many of us felt upon seeing you go through that. Obviously it wasn't like, Oh, thank you, Mari for doing this, but it was really extraordinary to see you shining in the midst of the fear and the uncertainty and the courage and also the not knowing that was really, really powerful. And, um, and there were times when I was watching you where I thought, I wonder if this feels if there had been like kind of a permissioning, um, a foundational permissioning created within you because of the grief you experienced with your father. Because I think a lot of people don't, like health issues are so closely related to grief. It's so intense. It's very spiralic. Mm -hmm. And was there kind of this, I know this is like a weird question because I imagine that there was not a lot of thought put into it at the time, but was there a moment where you thought like, fuck like looking a certain way like I'm I want to share like everything that I'm going through and like receive and not be alone in this was there kind of a moment for you in that I wouldn't say there was a moment um I think I felt like I wanted to tell people what was up because I knew that I couldn't draw and so I Mm. at that point I had um enough of a following that, you know, it would be kind of weird if I just sort of disappeared. That is very Um, true. I didn't think of that. (laughs) That's very true. Yes. (laughs) I think I sort of, I mean, just on a practical level, I think I, I sort of felt like I owed it to them. Um, I, 
I've always been pretty naturally expressive. Um, and it's, it's never been hard for me to talk about things that I'm going through. So it didn't feel particularly brave, but it did feel weird because mm. I had sort of built this audience from, sometimes I would talk about grief or some more personal things, but mostly I think the way people saw me at that point, I think is like quirky illustrator who writes about, you know, modern dating and adulting yeah. and, you know, sort of like funny takes on like life experiences, I think. And <laughs> I just, you know, I was sitting in that bed and like, I just thought, wow, I'm not going to be able to talk about a lot of that for a while. Yeah. And so, um, I just realized I have to, you know, I have to talk about what, what I'm actually going through and, um, that might resonate. It might not, I might lose all of my followers, whatever. I really didn't care at that point. Um, it just felt like sort of a natural thing to discuss it. And what happened, um, was that I I started getting <laughs> I've never talked about this. This is so lovely. Um oh. I started getting a really new kind of audience and I got a new kind of message. Mm -hmm. Um I got people you know normally the kind of message I would get um before talking about my illness was you make me feel less alone when I'm like on Tinder or you make <laughs> me feel less alone. Um, you know, when I'm like at my crappy job or, you know, those kinds of things, which is so valid, but I started getting like, you make me feel less alone, like being sick or, oh. you know, going through <laughs> like really, really serious stuff. And yeah. I think, I mean, you actually, you gave me this gift because you emailed me while I was in the hospital and you said this was my transition from artist to healer. And at the time, you know, I'm sitting in my bed watching Golden Girls and I can't move. <laughs> and that didn't, that didn't totally resonate yeah. because um, <laughs> I didn't really feel like much of anything. I was completely unproductive. Um, but as I shared my story, you know, more and more, and a lot of it, I, I sort of kept to myself or kept in my, my mm -hmm. private, um, you know, social media stuff. Um, but I would share the parts that felt, uh, most relevant to kind of a, a wider audience. And the more that I did that, the more I really felt that I, I kind of had that revelation once again, that when you share your story from a raw and personal place people are inevitably going to connect to it. And it is inevitably going to help people feel less alone, which is amazing. And um, I thought that I was going to lose most of my followers, which again was um, fine with me, but I actually expanded into a whole yeah. new type of audience. And um, that was really, really powerful and um just beautiful. I mean, I, I didn't expect, I didn't like share on Instagram to be supported by Instagram, but 
I really was. I mean, I felt like it was such a really beautiful community and I felt like people were connecting to each other and um, really extraordinary experience to be a witness to that. Oh, that's so beautiful. What a gift. Thank you so much for sharing this story, Mari, because it's just as inspiring and incredibly um, just in an, it, your, your, your life and the journey that you've been on in your life with this experience is a gift to hear how you've moved through that. Thank you. And it's so, um, beautiful. And I think such a gift too to talk about, like, I think the very thing that we think is kind of going to ruin everything and maybe we don't mm-hmm. even care is like, <laughs> you know, is like mm-hmm. really the thing that winds up lifting us into the next level of our mm-hmm. lives. And I'm curious, um, because I know you've talked about all of the things, all of the feelings that have come up around <laughs> your illness, um, and like the gifts and the shitty parts as well. And I'm curious about how moving through what you did changed your book. Did it change the um, trajectory of what you wanted to write about? Did it, um, and like, because your book is so beautiful, but was it, um, did it connect and infuse into the remainder of your writing or was the book finished before? Like what was the, um, where were you in that process and how did it change the way that you started to draw and write from that place? Oh uh, yeah. Um, the, but I had just finished the book, yeah. um, before I got sick, but I, um, I expanded the story a bit. And, um, one way that my art quite dramatically changed after that is that, um, you know, I had always written from personal experience. I had always said, um, you know, what you see on Instagram is um, kind of what I'm going through, what I'm processing at the time. And maybe it's from a memory, but it is what I'm currently processing. And um, during the recovery, I was physically able to draw, but I wasn't emotionally able to draw what I used to draw. I, I couldn't, I literally couldn't talk about dating because I wasn't dating. I was sitting at my mom's house, <laughs> unable to walk. Um, and so I tried for li- like a, a couple times. I sort of tried to channel my old self. Um, I still had, um, you know, some freelance work that I had to do about, you know, like daily dilemmas and that kind of thing. And that was really challenging for me. And it didn't feel authentic and of course authenticity is a pretty big part of what I do yeah so that was really challenging and I thought I just can't get there I can't I can't even think of this stuff it's not coming to mind and so I just started drawing what I was going through and this was about six months of depression PTSD yes um and just general malaise from just not really being myself and not I was slowly breaking up with my boyfriend um, who had kind of been with me through the illness. And then afterwards we just weren't connecting as well. And 
just in a really rough place, um, mm. to say the least. And yeah. so I, um, instead of trying to channel, you know, my old self, I thought, all right, this is just, this is where it changes. And yeah. I would just start writing about how I didn't know what to write. And I would, um, draw illustrations of, um, empathy and I would I would draw kind of um ways that I was experiencing how the world was communicating with me and seeing me and you know you mentioned um the world really wanting to put a bow on everything and I Mm -hmm. really saw that during my illness even much more so than I did after my father's death I just saw everyone trying to ask me what I learned from it and tell me I was so strong and all of that and yeah and I was so it was that made it just so much worse um and so I really wanted to tell the world that you know I I thought I had Mm -hmm. this opportunity to teach people how to be better because we don't know what to say I mean I have so much grace for that I totally understand it but I also like people gotta know they need to know they gotta (laughs) know you can't be doing that um yeah so I started talking about all that stuff and some of that made it into the book um which I'm very very happy about and um and then a lot of that I'm currently putting in my next book so it's all it's all being turned into (laughs) turned into material which is the blessing I guess if you if you're gonna find (laughs) one yeah you know (laughs) you have to yeah I mean that's true and that I mean, you, you kind of, this was one of like the most exciting parts of like wanting to talk to you about this for me, because I got a very intense diagnosis about something that is just a crazy thing and can't really, it's like a major medical issue, but it can't be fixed. So it's just something that like, I have to just be with. And, um, it's fine. And it's been very similar to not in any way, shape or form what you've moved through in terms of like being paralyzed and literally needing to walk again, but has really, uh, been a fire that's really blown through the forest of my life and has kind of reshaped everything, like the whole landscape of what I knew Mm -hmm. and in the way Mm -hmm. that, and in only the way those things can be, I appreciate what it's done, although it has not been cute or easy. Now, (laughs) what shocked me when I started to go through it was how uncomfortable it made other people and how often I was, Mm. and how often I was asked well, what do you think you did to call that in? And I mm-hmm. remember being like, do you assume that children who get cancer have called that in? Why Why on earth would you lump anyone going through medical shit into that? But like, until you have walked even a modicum of that kind of experience, you don't get it. And the weird thing, yeah, yeah and the weird thing about like meditation and drawing and like, living a really hearty life and like even spirituality is like all of it. And I mean, you may have different feelings about this, Mari. This is sort of like Lindsay, but like, I feel like all of it is really preparing us to have like a good death. Like there's no getting away Mm. from the suffering and the fact that like there will be turnover at the end of this. And I find it like there, there is so much terror and judgment around mortality and sickness and like humanness 
around. Mm. It, it just really, everything comes forward when people get sick. It's just really incredible, yes. like what comes out of people's mouths, you know, and I, yeah. and you were like a fucking tiger. Like I loved some of the things that you were drawing and saying at that time that were just like very compassionate and kind, but like also like fierce, like it's not acceptable. It's not okay. And I, it's, it doesn't need to be okay. It doesn't need to be okay. You know? No. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I loved it and loved what you've shared. There's so much tower in this conversation too, like even more so than strength I'm feeling actually in real time because what you're sharing is really the story of tower. It's like these, this, this kind of intense directional shift happens. We have no awareness of it. It kind of leads us into star, into a period of healing and regeneration. And then we wind up moving through the darkness of the moon and walking into the light of the sun with something different to say. So it really feels like you've embodied that journey perfectly and with so much grace and humanness. It really does. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for seeing that. Of course. Yeah, it's it's it shines out of every part of what you share. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, and if you had to, so I know you probably can't share a lot about it, but um, can you share anything about like the timing or the subject of your next book? Yeah, I don't know anything about the timing. So that's not even a secret. <laughs> it's a secret to me. <laughs> it's like a cool. universe. The universe is keeping the secret. Um, but I'm I'm really thinking about um a lot of these things we, we talked about that yeah. um I didn't quite have the chance to fully infuse into my first book, but I'd really mm -hmm. like to go deep into in my second. And a lot of that is um, this idea of kind of looking for or pursuing experiencing a whole life um, and what mm -hmm. that looks like, as opposed to pursuing what we would consider a happy life. And um, mm -hmm. I think that I, I have a lot of happiness in my life, but the hard parts are not necessarily negative to me. I, I found, I sort of had this revelation because um, I was getting a lot of criticism. I always get kind of a lot of like troll, like snarky comments when I, mm -hmm. when I really write um, from my heart about some really tough stuff and there's no bow, you know, there's no, yes. there's no cute message. It's just sad. It's just dark. And I find that people have a, a lot of people have such a visceral reaction to that. They're like angry about it. You yeah. know, it's like, get over it. Or, um, you know, like I, I used to like this page, but it's so depressing, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and it was, it was interesting to me because that's never, I've never interpreted um, <laughs> like the kind of darker stuff as like, negative like I've never been turned off by depressing movies I've yeah. always kind of liked that stuff yeah um and so that was kind of interesting for me to even it's like oh I didn't okay I didn't know that about humans like I didn't know some humans 
just like cannot handle that and in fact are very angry about it. Um, and so I'm, I'm wondering how through my next sort of iteration of creativity, how I can bring a bit more understanding, um, of that part of life, the darkness and yeah. kind of the, the beauty of it and, um, maybe make people feel a little less afraid of it so that they don't scream on people's Instagram pages, but also so that they, <laughs> you know, embrace it a bit in their own life. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people either just suppress their pain and then it comes out in really awful ways or they feel ashamed of it or yeah. they um, inflict it on other people. You know, there's so many really hard ways to deal with pain. And I, I very much um, hope for a world that embraces it a bit more so that we can... Um, you know, turn it into something meaning, meaningful, whether that's art or just, you know, more empathy. Oh, so beautiful. I love it. And that book is so deeply needed because I feel like these are very kind of new themes in the general conversation of people in life. Like I know 20 years ago, this mm -hmm. was not anything that anyone was talking about and they're really, right. yeah. Right. And like, yeah. and, um, I also think that everything you're talking about is a natural source of receptivity to make us more available to honor when like we've caused pain or when we've like to be able to also sit with other people when they're in pain, not even just for ourselves, but for others, like everything you're mm -hmm. sharing just sounds like a real river of gifts that flow out in many directions. That's beautiful. Oh. Thank you. Can I put that quote on yes. the back? That of course. My God. Yes. <laughs> yes, so please. <laughs> what an honor. Um, I feel like I have 80,000 more questions for you, but in the interest of like time and all of the, uh, all of the medicine you've shared, um, I want to quickly just ask, um, where can people find you? And, um, can you share a little bit about your beautiful book? Am I there yet? Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm still kicking on Instagram at uh, by Mari Andrew and at bymariandrew.com. Um, people can easily find my book from several sources. Um, my first book, Am I There Yet? Such a labor of love over um, many years of my 20s. And it's sort of about... Um, how I came to think of myself as an artist, how mm. I sort of made that journey and um, all the heartbreak and the grief um, that went with it, all the rejection and the really bad jobs and all of the things that I've infused um, into the artwork that you see on Instagram. Beautiful. And all those links will be on the show notes. Um, and yeah, follow Mari, read her book. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk and share on the podcast. What a joy and an honor to have you. Thanks so much, Lindsay.